Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me tonight, my co-host Corey Walsh of Fear the Sword. How you doing, brother? Doing good. It's off-season time, so you know if you're not into the W, tough time. <laughs> Man, off-season. This is like the driest points of the off-season too. We've gotten done with free agency. There's no more summer league to talk about. Not really too many trades going on. Uh, you know, especially for the Cavaliers. So we are at that point of the season where we're just going to be continuously dropping mailbox pods, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, we're really creative like that. You know, we're innovative. We think outside the box. Oh, wait, never mind. <laughs> we just do what everyone else does. <laughs> exactly. Got to fill that time slot somehow. Ah, oh, Corey, man, I'm a, as you guys notice, I got my backdrop back here. Finally, I, there is no longer a window behind me so i'm in my own space now i'm very excited about that as y'all can see the iron man stuff behind me looking forward to filling it up with some cavalier shit but uh till then you know we're just gonna kind of go as we can uh with that being said man we got mailbox questions so what better way than to get into this episode than to jump right to it and so i have a pretty tough question to lead you off right here and it comes from good friend of the pod tony pesta and it is, what would be your go-to closing lineup? God damn it, Tony Pesto. He had to hit you <laughs> with the hard one, man, right away. Closing lineup. Uh, hmm. If I had to think about that, I mean, obviously you got the four. So everyone knows pretty much it's going to be the, the main four. The question is, who do you want to close? I mean, it's the most boring answer ever, but it's probably just going to be between Struess and Lavert on who's playing better, I would say. And it's for Struess, are the shots falling from the three-point line or versus is Lavert locked in for a game? Because let's face it, the two of them can be inconsistent at times, but from different points of the court. So I guess it would just have to be which of the two is playing better. I mean, also, if the Cavs want to play small and they want to take Jared off the floor, play Evan at the five, go more offensive, you could go that route too. But, yeah, I'd probably say that the starting four with whoever is playing better in particular between Struess and Levert for me. I mean, based off of what we saw in the postseason, obviously you can't put much stock into that because Struess was not on the roster prior to that. But Levert was one of the only Cavs that actually showed up on both ends of the floor defense, and he was a um, pretty sorely needed offensive player as well with the Coral still not quite right and not able to space the floor consistently. So one would have to think building upon one of his one of the best seasons you know the the scoring production obviously is not what we have seen from in you know some of his best seasons in that regard at only 12.1 points per game but he did put up a career high in three point percentage and i i truly believe that another year in this offense um another year with jb as head coach coaching him up on the defensive end Karras could again give us a very good season. Um, you know, hopefully not as inconsistent as he started um, during the 2022 23 season, but you know, getting more um, roster versatility, playing him at his more natural positions. I feel like we're in for a pretty good season from Levert. And I, I'm very happy that Kobe Altman was able to retain him on such a uh, manageable deal. And if the Cavs end up saying, fuck it, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and try and get our starting small forward of the future and including Levert in 
that contract will come in handy. But until that until that day comes, Levert is going to be a viable piece in this rotation. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, I, I'm, I'm, it kills me to say this, Corey, but I, I, I think that Okoro will not even be in the running for this discussion. Um, it, I mean, there will be games. I, I'm sure there'll be games where they're trying to sub offense for defense if they need a couple of stops. But when you're talking about closing lineups and putting your best five on the floor, I think it's probably going to end up being one of those two guys, which as an Okoro fan, that kind of sucks. Feel free to tell me how you guys feel in the comments, but I just, it's going to be one of those two guys. Um, Struess can space the floor too well. We know that's one of the biggest issues the Cavs had this past season. So they're going to try and have him out there as much as possible. And then Levert, who, like I said, gave you, you know, it, when you look at this season in its entirety, Levert was not necessarily as bad as the stats make it seem. Um, that said, man, I think. You know, they we're, we're definitely going to be in for a season where JB is going to have to play around with a lot of lineups. Like, yeah, the pieces they had in the offseason definitely add to um, different looks. But another name that I just thought of, I mean, they can play him at the three or the four, but it's George Niang as well. If they want to play the small five and just get it so more offensively oriented and remove one of the two bigs. Do you like think Jared go to the bench? It'll be Jared, probably Jared. Um, I think it would probably be Darius uh, Donovan, one of the two. Probably in this case, Lavert, and then Struess at the four, and then Mobley at the five. But that's like that's super small, geez. But that's like holy. Or if they want to go three point oriented, just swap Struess and Lavert. But that's like guys, we're down twelve with like a minute 30 left and we need to get people on the floor who are going to put up shots, but you also can't be in the position where you can't get rebounds, offensive rebounding opportunities either. And obviously defensively, that's a pretty weak lineup overall. I mean, Evan's greatest strength is his ability to free Lance around the court and taking away Jared and making him by the, by the basket really, really kind of, takes away some of Evan's gifts defensively. So you really just have him out there because he's the, uh, the center option with the best offensive bag, I guess. Is the way that I would <laughs> That's put a it. nice way to put it, right? Well, yeah, comparably between Damian Jones, Jared Allen and Mobley, I would say Mobley has more uh, things to keep defensive uh, matchups on their toes versus Jared and Damian Jones. I mean, do you think Damian Jones will be a part of this Cavs rotation heading into next season if they don't, like, pick up another big? I think they'll probably give him some run. I mean, you. I feel like trading for a player when you could have just picked up another play, another backup big on the market kind of shows that they at least want to, like, k- kind of give him a run. I would say I wouldn't I'm not expecting him to be a night to night player, but I would expect certain situations in which they'll be like, yeah, you know, the bigs, Jared and Evan, one of them might be hurt. For example, let's just say Isaiah Mobley doesn't get converted just because they decide that's not the route they want to take right now. Not saying that he's bad, but, you know, it's all financial 
decisions as well. So I, I could see certain situations where Damian Jones goes on the floor. I mean, this is before we see what the Cavs do with remaining roster spots. But as of this moment, I would expect to see Damian Jones play some games. Yeah, I think it'll be heavily matchup dependent. Um, <clears throat> one of the biggest things that we wanted out of our bigs this offseason was finding somebody who could space the floor at that position, right? Either the four or the five. And we know, as you pointed to earlier, Niang can give you some minutes at the four. Um, and it's kind of a small look, but he can still soak up a, a ton there if you were wanting to play Evan Mobley at the five. Or if you wanted to get both Evan and Jarrett some rest, Damian can come in there and give you some minutes. And although it was very limited production, we did see him shoot over 58.8% from three-point range. Uh, so that's it's something that he has in his bag, but not necessarily something we've seen with enough volume to, to feel really good about it. It's like Tristan Thompson, a la like 2019. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that. Fuck it, I'm going to just do whatever I feel like. I'm going to try and get me a give me a last second contract or, you know, play well for my next suitor. Something it's like, like Hey, that. if you give me 40 feet of space, I will pull up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, I hope that answers your question, Tony. Um, and if not, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you heard it from Corey. Apparently we don't care. Uh, Tell man, Jackson to get an answer in here. <laughs> Somehow I, geez, Louise. Uh, this next question comes via KK. Uh, how much run do you think Jerome and CPJ get next season? I mean, that that question gets a lot more interesting now with the latest news on Ricky Rubio and his mental health, which obviously we're all human beings here. We all advocate that Ricky should put his health first before a season of NBA basketball, which – to fans, some fans is life or death, but to a player of Ricky's like ilk, I mean, like it obviously you should put the human before the profession any day. The man's been playing pro ball since what, 13, 14 in his native yeah. country. But even if he was just a normal guy on the street too, I mean, it's just, we're all human guys. Let's just, I see some fans being like, this is bull. Like, <laughs> what, what are we going to do? Play Ty Jerome like 40 minutes? Yeah, Ball is life, Corey. Didn't play. you know that? Ball's life, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think this is an interesting question now because, I mean, I'm going under the assumption that Ricky might not even play this year because, you know, you never know with mental health how long it could take. It's not one of those things that it's like, oh, two weeks, I feel better now kind of thing. Like this could go on and then Ricky just decides, ah, maybe I need to pursue other things in order to get my mind right. So I I feel like this opens up questions for both Jerome and Craig Porter Jr. And I wonder what the Cavs are thinking specifically, because I was under the impression that Karis LeVert was kind of going to operate as the main backup point guard in a way, because I think they're still going to see what Ricky's got left. I think these euros were going to be like a huge indicator for the Cavs on how they were going to kind of handle Craig Porter Jr. going forward. I felt like there was maybe a chance if Euros didn't go well, that maybe they would send Ricky out just to give Craig Porter Jr.'s more of a development runway. Yeah. I feel now that they're probably just going to give Ty Jerome and more minutes. I don't know if they're necessarily going to pull the trigger on Craig Porter Jr. I still think they might keep him on his two-way. But 
Ricky not being there means that when those minutes that would normally go to Ricky when Craig Porter Jr. is in, maybe he'll actually get more NBA level experience that he can then carry over to the G League. So it might be a good development opportunity for Craig Porter Jr. And Ty Jerome, I feel like, is one of those players that we've seen him even play against the Cavs. Like if he has his shot going, he's a very good player. He's a taller guard than you would expect. And uh, he definitely adds a dimension that the that was his best game of the season too against the Cavs. <laughs> it certainly felt like it. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Ty Jerome is certainly a different look than uh, what Ricky Rubio was going to bring. More similar to like the spacer that Darius is, and that would at least pair well with a player like Donovan that Donovan could kick in and then dish it out to Ty Jerome for open looks to generate. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I feel like it might be a good experience for the two of them to kind of soak up some of Ricky's minutes. I mean, I doubt all the minutes are going to go into guard play. They might now a Coro might get more minutes because of it. You might see other role players getting quality minutes from it. I mean, I, I think they're going to get decent. I think Jerome's going to get decent run. I don't think he's going to play meaningful minutes every game, but he'll certainly get, good minutes for a majority of the game this year. And Craig Porter Jr., I feel like when he's on his two-way, it might not just be sit on the bench, stand up and clap, and then uh, when <laughs> we're, uh, when there's three minutes left in the game and the game's essentially over, go out there and just throw a few shots up. He might get meaningful tread as well. I mean, yeah, it, it, it's all relative here. And I think most of this is really heavily tied to the decision of Ricky Rubio and this was his wording and that's what makes this so odd to me because he didn't outright say that he was you know retiring or you know leaving the NBA he just kind of left it all up in the air because this was his wording right here I have decided to stop my professional activity to take care of my mental health you know he said a little bit more than that but based on his wording he kind of left the door open for a return this season um, I'm not sure what's going on you know it's none of my business I, I wish him all the best. Mental health, as we know, is one of the most important things. Um, we've, we've started to shed more and more light on it, you know, I feel like in this generation. But uh, it's definitely something that you want to take, and, and it's, a, it's a high priority. So I, I am wishing Ricky the best. That said, it does kind of leave a roster, not a roster spot, a rotation spot possibly up for grabs. And I think I got to be honest here. Like Ty Jerome in his production with the Warriors last season, he played 45 games, uh, averaged 18.1 minutes per game. And one of the biggest things that he did was shoot the three ball. He shot 38.9%. So we know he can space the floor. And another thing I really love about Jerome is the fact that he actually has size. <laughs> um, over the past few seasons, it just feels like Cleveland has been enamored with shorter guards, whether it be Obviously, you know, I take nothing against Darius or Donovan because they're all-stars. Um, but, you know, you, you talk about Ricky. You talk about Howell. Uh, Kevin Pangos. Yeah, I mean, even if you want to throw him in there. Um, anybody who's been out there, Brandon Goodwin, um, you, you can really just throw a ton of short-ass point guards out there. Name anyone you want in Cleveland is probably attached to them somehow. Uh, so it's it's nice to see a guard out there that actually has some size to him. Um, he is listed as a shooting guard, but he can give you minutes at either position. Uh, so there's a lot of different roster looks that JB can probably well, – rotation looks that JB can probably go with. And the versatility that he ha now has should 
help things tremendously if Ricky doesn't come back. Um, in regards to Craig Porter Jr., I mean, I'm not going to mince words here. If I had to choose right now, Corey, and y'all can beat me up in the comments, I would seriously consider giving Craig Porter Jr. the first dibs if Ricky does not come back. I am that in right now on, on Craig's ability to impact the game on both ends of the floor. Um, the one thing that we did not get to see really in summer league from him is, is his ability to knock down the long ball. And that's the biggest differentiating factor right now between him and Jerome outside of size um, and experience, obviously. But I love the guy, man. He, 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 he's not just a two-way player. Uh, well, he's not just on a two-way contract. He literally is a two-way player on both ends of the floor. And that's something that I feel like at guard, the Cavs can use. The guy can rebound. He plays defense. He's a pest out there. Kind of reminds me of Del Vadova. But, you know, it's just, for me, I, I don't, like, when we're being realistic about it, I don't see Craig Porter Jr. actually getting an opportunity. I think it is going to be Ty Jerome. And I do think he will be an everyday contributor. I don't think it'll be high minutes. I think it'll be somewhere in that 15 to 18 minutes per game range. But I do think he will be an everyday contributor if Rubio doesn't come back. Yeah, I think I would expect Jerome to be towards the back of the rotation. Like the seventh or eighth guy, maybe. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I I don't have high hopes for either that they're going to be day to day players, mostly CPJ for contractual reasons and for Ty Jerome just fit reasons. I mean, on the Warriors, you would expect a team that prioritizes three point volume to get the most out of him. It would probably be them. And he only, like you said, played in 45 games, had 18 minutes in those. And a lot of those appearances were probably honestly when one of the Splash Brothers wasn't playing or Jordan Poole wasn't playing just to fill that role. It wasn't like he had a solidified role there either. Not saying the dude's useless or that he's bad or anything. I'm just (laughs) – he he's one of those players that has an NBA-level skill and it's spreading the floor – and that if if he's not hitting that shot, then he's not providing much else to the Cavs as far as I know of. Well, you know, there he is heading to his fourth team in as many seasons. So, I mean, that is that should be mentioned as well. That's no slight against Ty Jerome. Sometimes it just takes a couple of opportunities with various teams before you really get your shot. But, yeah, I mean, when you look at his production with Golden State this past season, I mean – the the three point production looks nice on paper, especially the percentage. But he was only taking two attempts per game, and we do get on That's we less get on Isaac. Guys. Exactly, we get on Isaac for that, and we you can't really use that as a huge sticking point when talking about how good or bad a guy is at shooting the ball. Although he does have at least one season attempting over five a game, and he played thirty three games for the Oklahoma City Thunder back during the 2021 uh, season, and he shot the three ball over 42.3%. So Gee, there I wonder is, who is competing for those three point shots <laughs> there. I say all that to say, there's like a track record there that he, it is a skill he possesses, as you said, but you know, there is a reason why he's playing on his fourth team um, in, in that many years. So we'll have to see. Um, I'm very interested. There's a lot to be excited about in regards to the versatility that, uh, that JB has to work with now, but let's get on to our next question. Shall we? 
All right. So this one also comes from Twitter. What player from last year's team is in jeopardy of a roster of a roster spot? I'm assuming because I copied and pasted that. I'm assuming that that means who is in jeopardy of falling out of the rotation. That's how I'm interpreting it. Mm. I have two players that come to my mind very quickly. Uh, One is Dean Wade, who I'm pretty sure on opening night will not be in the Cavaliers uh, rotation whatsoever. I feel like this is kind of a make it or break it kind of situation for Dean. Mm -hmm. He's probably, unless he has an awesome camp and there's stuff that we're not seeing on the court or he has a great preseason. I don't see many instances in which he could possibly be in the rotation. He could earn his way in, obviously. I mean, JB's not one to just be stubborn in the regular season and keep to a rotation. We see him actually move minutes around very frequently and is very comfortable at giving guys the yank and putting them in the doghouse for weeks on end, a la Jetty Osman. Uh, rest in peace. <laughs> but also another name that came to mind for me, which is the hot name on Cavs Twitter is probably uh, Isaac Okoro. I feel like this is also another season in which uh, Isaac, at least I think the Cavs like Isaac Okoro more than I think the fan consensus does. I think they're higher on him because NBA Twitter in general is a offensive haven where if you are a splashy offensive player, you're going to get a lot more praise Versus if you're a player like Isaac, who his a lot of his value comes from the defensive end while still growing on the offensive end, it's like, well, this guy sucks. He can't shoot three-pointers at a six-game a clip at 40% point <laughs> percentage. So he's pretty bad, honestly. Like He's not even a two-way player. All right, this guy sucks. Get him out of here. So I feel like between those two, those are the two names that I think of. I don't think Isaac will probably fall out of the rotation. I think the question is for Isaac, what are the Cavs going to be comfortable paying him to come back when his contract runs out? I don't think they're going to pick up the option on him. Um, I think Dean Wade also uh, is – he's – I think in the second year of his contract extension that the Cavs gave him – um, I don't think they'd feel very comfortable paying Dean Wade the money that he'll be owed in his third year if uh, we're seeing similar results to how last season ended, where when you think of Dean Wade's strengths, his perimeter defense and his three-point shot making, and he kind of was not great at either last towards the end of last year, which kind of made the question of, well, hmm, maybe Dean can't be our backup five, or hmm, maybe Dean can't even be the backup four. So I think it's very interesting for both of them. I think these are pivotal seasons for both in different respects, but those are the two that I would see falling out of a roster spot. I mean, I think that's perfectly valid. I mean, when you just look at the roster now, it's in a much different place than it was last season. Um, You know, a lot of names are gone. I mean, let's start with uh, Jetty Osman, Lamar Stevens, guys who were traded in the deal that brought in Max Struess. Dylan Um, Windler. (laughs) Dylan Windler. Yeah, we – Jeez, man, Dylan Wendler was like barely even a Cavalier, right? Uh, Mamadi Diakite, uh, Robin Lopez, How Neto, these are names that are no longer associated with the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so you, in this offseason alone, you've brought in Struess, you've brought in Yang, 
You brought in Jerome. You've brought in Jones. And then you have the draftees. You have Craig Porter Jr. You have um, Amani Bates. You have the, you know guys like Isaiah Mobley who are still fighting for their opportunity. So there's just, just a lot of roster upheaval. And then when you look at the rotation as it is right now, obviously you have DG. You got Donovan. We, we're assuming, and at least this is my assumption, they just paid Struess all that money, so Struess is going to start. Um, you have Evan, you have Jarrett, that's your five. And then at six, you have Karis. You have, and then that's when things get murky. After Karis Levert, you know, I guess you can throw Isaac in there, but Isaac has not, by no means, his minutes are not guaranteed the way that they were in, in seasons prior, even though Isaac's minutes have declined every season that he's been in the league. He went from his rookie season averaging 32.4 minutes per game to 29.6 in year two, and then last season, 21.7, man. So we could see that dip even further towards like 15 to 18 range, like we said for for Jerome. So that's kind of a scary thing when you're talking about a player who is still just going to be 23 years old, uh, who was going into his 23 age 23 season, rather. So um, when I look – at the response that you just gave, I, I, I kind of have no choice but to agree. Isaac Okoro, Dean Wade. Because you have to look, when you get past Karras, you have to look at what else the Cavs could use. You're going to, obviously, you're going to put Niang in there. So that's that's your seventh guy, sixth, seventh or eighth guy. And then if you want to roll with Isaac, there's your eight. And then who's that ninth guy? Because the Cavs are already looking kind of small. So... That's when you start thinking about Dean. That's when you start thinking about Jones. It's just tough, man. Um, and I, in nowhere in this have we actually factored in, you know, whether or not Amani Bates is going to get an opportunity at, at a certain point, or if Isaiah is going to be converted, because that's another guy you could come in and potentially steal uh, minutes away from Dean Wade. So I think it has to be those two guys. Um. I don't know. I mean, do you want to provide a closing thought on that question? Well, just to def- you know, defend Isaac's minutes per game. I think that's also a buy. It's not as much of a product as Isaac underperforming, as I also feel like it's the team around him getting better. Oh, and for that sure. they also are like they kind of put Isaac in a tough position. It's just the case of like young guy drafted by bad team, where it's like, hey, Isaac, uh, I know you pretty much were a raw offensive player, but your defense is pretty good, and our young team is really bad at defending right now. How would you like to guard all starting caliber three w- threes in the NBA? All right, <laughs> cool. All right, just go do that. And then if you can do anything on the offensive end, great. And then it turned – his season kind of was able to turn – his his career was able to go in the right direction, I think, with the inclusion of Lowry in the tall ball lineup where it was like – all right, now we're not asking you to be a starting level three because you were kind of like in an awkward position there anyway. We're going to allow you to just kind of – we'll put you in lineups that make sense for you with uh, the bench unit with some starting offense, some, some starting talent intertwining. And then last season was ideal until it wasn't. <laughs> and then this season I feel like is probably the best suited for him to kind of grow into the future NBA player. I think he can be, I don't know if it's fair for him to say that he'll be a starting level player, but valuable rotation players are a value in this league. And I think that's where I see Isaac growing into. And that doesn't make him the wrong pick. Cause I do think people forget how God awful that draft class 
was, especially <laughs> in their the top. There's a lot of teams regretting their picks. Absolutely. I mean, Obi Toppin was who Cavs fans were clamoring for, and he's not even on the Knicks anymore. Hey, I was one of those guys. I mean, being from Dayton, Ohio, yeah, I, I mean, I obviously wanted Obi to be drafted by the Cavs, but I mean, yeah, I mean, you're you hit the nail on the head, man. Yeah, that's. I just feel like Isaac had a tough hand dealt, and you know, it's not a bad thing that he flourishes in a different role than what people imagine. If he's flourishing, period, in some aspect, that pick still made sense. What constitutes flourishing for Isaac Okoro? I think finding a position where he can operate comfortably offensively, where his game gets to a point where defenses need to respect it, Mm -hmm. not necessarily need to fear it. I think fans want him to turn into the Kawhi Leonard, (laughs) Jimmy Butler comps that people were saying like after year one, like, oh my God, the roadmap's there. And I'm like, what what are you guys seeing? (laughs) But because defensively he's there. I don't think defensively there's much more room for him to grow. There's like marginal improvements I think he can make defensively, but offensively is obviously like where everyone and their mother can point out like, hmm, you know, he seems a little raw still in certain aspects. But when you look at the percentages and the shot attempts from three, they do go up. I mean, you can make arguments that he is growing, just not like exponentially. I don't know if he'll ever make a case for most improved player in the league or anything, but I definitely see a roadmap for Isaac being a valuable, a valuable contributor to the Cavs this season and a valuable postseason player where we can throw him out there confidently and not just hope that he misses two shots and then the defense kind of gives up. I mean, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm still a huge believer in Isaac Okoro. It should be noted that Isaac basically missed the last four weeks of the regular season. And I honestly believe that played that played at least a little bit into his performance in the postseason because towards in those final couple of games, when Isaac, uh, Isaac actually did get some run, he didn't look half bad. Um, should also be mentioned that in his final 40 games, uh, he's shooting over 41% from three point range on two point six attempts. So that's more than Ty Jerome. (laughs) It is. I mean, it is, I mean, not to, not to be comical or anything, but that's the truth. Um, Isaac also gives you hellacious defense. And I think we've gotten to a point where we even undervalue that from him. Like it's, I think we just kind of get to a point with guys like Isaac or guys like Jared, where we're just constantly devaluing what they actually bring to the table and how much they actually mean to the caps. When you're talking about taking some of that uh, burden off of the stars and and Darius and, and Donovan, especially from a defensive standpoint. And do you ever get a player with better sound bites than Isaac <laughs> I mean, come on, think of the memes that we lose. I mean, yes, the one where they're all staring into the camera. <laughs> that's the one that instantly comes to mind for me. But uh, Great yeah, performance back. <laughs> Isaac and uh, Isaac and Dean are probably the ones that are in most jeopardy in that in that regard. On to our next question. That comes from, I think that also came from KK. What is your take on the difference between a wing? Shooting guard and small four. That's a good. That's a good ass question right there. That, that's a philosophical question. I'll let Matt take this one first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll give my I'll give my crack at it because when you look at the definition of a wing, I think what you're usually going to find is not necessarily position, but the you're going to look at a specific skill set. 
guys who can play out on the corners, whether that be knocking down the three ball, uh, whether that be defending at a high level at that position. But I don't necessarily know if you can break it down into a position because I've seen I've seen guys who are technically point guards. I've seen guys who are technically shooting guards. I've seen guys who are technically small forwards, all labeled wing at, to, to some degree. And I think it's highly dependent upon their skill set. Can you shoot the three ball? Can you defend perimeter players? You know, I think that's what I think of when I think of wing. And I know like the the end all be all these days at the three is three and D wing. That's what we want, right? Um, but I, it, that's a very tough thing to classify. I don't necessarily look at it from a positional standpoint i just look at it can you defend on the perimeter can you knock down the three ball and do you fit are you not a big i guess that's the biggest caveat there you can't really i'm not going to really look at you if you're six eight through you know six eight and above as a wing i'm going to look at you as a as a uh as a big so i don't know and then shooting guard i mean i think that kind of speaks for itself um more off ball um, you know, playing more out in the perimeter, rather not, you know, whether it be adding a, as a, as a secondary playmaker facilitator. Um, I think that one kind of speaks for itself, but two guard and then the three, you know, the small forward. Um, like I said, can you play out in the perimeter? Um, can you defend threes? I think we're, as we move closer and closer to a non-positional league, um, you know, guys being able to play multiple spots. I think you're, you really start to lose sight of what some of these positions actually are. But uh, I know I kind of butchered that a little bit, but Corey, I'll give you a crack at it because that, that's, a, that's a tough one. I mean, I feel like this is like mostly a perception thing. I yeah. mean, uh, I kind of view a wing as a player that could play the two, the three, and the four, honestly. I've kind of view it as a more versatile player, kind of not positionally locked into certain things. I kind of view um, positions as what are you capable of guarding on the other end? What do teams recognize you as? Because, I mean, I think the difference between a shooting guard and small, I think the, the capabilities of players don't determine the position. I think it just comes down to height, honestly. (laughs) <laughs> and explain Jay Sean Tate. Explain Jay Sean Tate. Jay Sean's like six four playing power forward, bro. I mean, I just think it's up to the team's perception. I mean, I don't think a team looks at a player and goes like, "Oh no, we can't play him at the, the three. I mean, he's he's six five. <laughs> I mean, the Cavs I, and Isaac the Heat pretty much example. did it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's kind of like up to what the player, the team needs. I mean, I just, I kind of just view the the question past wing as it's just what the NBA forces us to label players as because they have to fill a certain thing in order to be in a depth chart. They don't go, Oh, how many wings do you have on your depth chart? <laughs> it's, you know, you have a point guard, shooting guard, small forward, power forward center. I kind of view a wing as just someone who's versatile and is able to play all three positions. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I other than that, I kind of agree with some of the points that Mac made. But to keep this question kind of short, I'll also because uh, we have a lot more questions, so I'll just say that yeah, the that's what I would do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that it's really a tough question. It's really all about perception, man. Pretty soon, it's going to be like uh, the you know 
elementary and AA unit, uh, AAU type basketball where guys are just, you know, you're whatever the team needs you to be on any given day. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll kind of leave it there. Next question comes from JP Digi. That is, are you worried that Sam Merrill won't be able to get open or get his shot off quickly enough to play minutes for the Cavs? And that's assuming that Sam Merrill will actually get minutes. I think Sam Merrill will get minutes. Um, I think he provides uh, – I would rather Sam Merrill gets minutes over Ty Jerome, just putting it out there. I think this Ricky absence might open the door for Merrill to get more minutes. Sam Merrill has an NBA-level talent of being able to find his shots. I mean, I think what – I don't want to assume what he's asking, but I assume – that it's pretty much that he thinks Merrill doesn't have the athleticism to get open. And I think Merrill gets his separation from just understanding floor spacing and off ball movement. There's not many situations where you see on ball separation for Sam Merrill. He kind of has that dunking Duncan Robinson esque niche of just, he's not the most athletic dude you've ever watched, but you can kind of watch him on the floor and he knows how to locate how to like, where on the court to get open based on ball movement and his release is definitely quick enough. I think it's his NBA skill is his catch and shoot ability. I think that translates very easily. It's just a matter of getting quality minutes. I mean, when he was on the court last season, it was pretty much with bench units. I didn't think they were really running designed offense set for him. It was kind of like, Oh, if you can find a shot open, just go ahead and take it. But we're not necessarily going to be, going through the playbook just to get Sam Merrill some touches. It just kind of <laughs> felt like it was like, all right, go for it, man. I mean, do you do you? I, I definitely think Merrill, if he gets looks, should succeed in whatever capacity the Cavs allow him to play in. Um, you know, I'm right there with you. It should be noted. Dude, this motherfucker, he took 11.23s in his five summer league appearances. He was letting that thing fly. Out he did there. in the G League, too. That's what earned him that look from the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, he was exceptional in, in both regards, in both summer league and the G League from beyond the arc. Shot 44.6% on those attempts during summer league. He was not shy at all. And I know the biggest gripe people have is like, well, yeah, he's playing. He's he's the most experienced guy out there. He's 27 years old. He's been here. He's done that. But if there's one skill that I feel is translatable, no matter where you play in that, whether it's college, whether that's NBA, G League, whatever level you're playing at, shooting the basketball. Shooters shoot. And generally that's a skill that is more easily carried over um, than a lot of these other skills can. So Merrill, I'm – Honestly, when they signed him last season, I was really hoping they were going to let him uh, have an opportunity in the postseason, but I knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, I, When they signed him to the multi-year contract, I'm like, hey, he'll get an opportunity to fight at least for, the, for a rotation spot. But then we went out and we acquired Max Struess. We got George Niang, you know, Ty Jerome. And then his opportunity to make it in the rotation is, is now hanging on by a threat, in my opinion. But with the Rubio news... You never quite know. Um, we did see Sam, at least at some capacity, try and, and, and make plays uh, for others. It, it wasn't on the level of Craig Porter Jr. or um, Luke Travers or some of these other guys out there during summer league who were moving the ball pretty well. But um, I do think that he at least warrants an opportunity. Um, is he going to be an everyday contributor? 
I don't know. But I think he deserves a look. I think if Sam Merrill doesn't get tread with the Cavs, he's one of those players that if he doesn't succeed here, he's going to succeed elsewhere because some other team will utilize his three-point ability. I think it will be something the Cavs will kick Jesus. themselves kind of with. I also um, I kind of disagree with his ball handling capabilities. I mean, a lot of the Cavs summer league was primarily operated on the Merrill and Mobley pick and roll. I would say that was like, if there was like a way to stat track that, I don't know if they do it for summer league, but I would say that was from eye test wise, that felt like 60% of their offense was just kind of running between the two of them and just kind of seeing whoever get can get open from the pick and roll and seeing where the defense, if they decide to commit to the screen, go under it, go over it. But yeah, I I don't think the Cavs are going to use him in that role at all. I don't think they need to. I think they have a lot of better ball handlers on the roster where they don't need to be like, wait a minute, let's see what Merrill's got in his bag right now. <laughs> <laughs> let's just see Merrill cook real quick. But uh, yeah, no, that I think I I I think I might be higher than consensus on Merrill, but he definitely is an NBA player. I don't. I'm not saying he's a superstar. I'm not saying he's an all star. But he's definitely a three-point shooter that will hit in the league. You know, the Warriors would love to get their hands on a shooter like that, in my opinion. <laughs> you do have They'll just him use him the team. same way they use DiVincenzo. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably so. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm really hoping he gets an opportunity. I don't think he'll have a. I don't think he would have trouble getting a shot off. I don't think he would get rejected or anything like that. I think he has that ability, and I think we've seen that now in the G league and in summer league play. So here's to hoping that uh, Sam gets an opportunity. Next question we got from Brett Clapper. Who's on the 15 man roster going into the playoffs. That's a, that's a tough one right now because the Cavs, if I'm not mistaken, they only have 13 actual NBA contracts. And I think they have three summer league contracts on the books and that's one of the big reasons why they're looking at acquiring a player like pj washington or you know picking up a vet um Corey, i don't know if this question can necessarily be answered right now without because it's kind of incomplete right you don't have the roster's not filled to its completion and we don't know how the season's gonna play out like let's say there's an injury and the roster needs to be shifted around kobe needs to do some maneuvering to fill holes of an injury or the team just isn't fitting the way that they imagined it and they have to ship players out that they recently signed i mean there's a lot of different variables i mean have you even like talked about last year's Cavs team and you're like, Oh, someone's going to go. I think everyone and their mother were going to be like, Oh man, Karis LeVert will probably be the Cav that's traded. I mean, if you ask me the question now, like who's the most likely Cavalier to be moved to create, like to solve their problems. I mean, it'd probably still be Karis LeVert and maybe Isaac Okoro as their two most attractive pieces. But last year it was Isaac, uh, the, Levert's like our only attractive piece that we're willing to move. We never even, I don't think any of us foresaw a possibility of Kevin Love being bought out at the beginning of last season. So it's just hard to predict those types of things. You know, the NBA season is so unpredictable. There's always teams that surprise, teams that disappoint, and there's teams that just can't get out of their own way. And I, I mean, I think the Cavs should do just fine. I think they'll probably be a buyout team again, like they were last year. 
I don't unless there's like a desperate need to fill a backup five or they're like, you know what, this Struce being the three isn't really working. Maybe we should get like a, a true three to kind of step in and fill that role. So I, I don't I'm sorry, Brett. I feel like I'm not really answering your question. <laughs> it's just uh, one it's, of those things that's like it's too far out. It's a tough one to answer without having the roster fully completed. I'll, I will ask you this just to kind of, you know, at least give some type of input on it. Do you think Amani Bates, do you think his contract will eventually be converted? Do you think he'll get some run this season? I certainly hope he doesn't get converted. I think he's still a very raw player. I mean, saying he looks good in summer league is different than saying that he should be an NBA player. I mean, he, he, is one of those players that he looked more contained game after game. I felt like I saw the vision for more of what he could be. Originally, it looked like he was just going to be that guy that like, hey, I'm going to shoot every time the ball touches my hands. And if it doesn't go in, you can pull me, I guess. That's the type of NBA player he seemed like he was going to be. But he got more complete offensively, and he showed some good looks defensively, despite not being the most athletic small forward I I thought he was going to be. Um. So I think personally for him, this isn't me saying like, I don't want Imani Bates on the court. I hate that guy or whatever. I think it's just that I think what's best for him is to kind of have that balance between the two. Give him like good, long, meaningful minutes in the G League to allow him to work on his on the court stuff and then be able to practice and get into select games with the Cavs when he gets called up for his two way games. I think that's fair. I think we'll leave that question at that. Uh, maybe we can revisit it when we have our next mailbag. <laughs> Hopefully the Cavs have made a few more moves by then. Uh, next question comes from Moondog716. <laughs> Not the real Moondog. Damn! <laughs> if you were the Cavs GM, would you do a sign-in trade for Kelly Oubre and give up a quarrel? If we're doing sign-in trade talk, I know there's a ton <laughs> of smoke about PJ Washington. So much so that people are making fake Woj graphics to just. I looked at it. I'm like, we're Man, looking Woj at you, Tommy. Up his font. <laughs> we're looking at you, Cleveland Tommy. Yeah, uh, I mean, I if I was doing a sign in trade, I'm much more apt to go for a PJ Washington type. I don't know if I'm giving up a Coro for PJ Washington. That seems a little aggressive. Also, giving up Isaac Coro for Kelly Oubre, who's been a a restricted free agent for quite some time. <laughs> People are allowed to take him at any time, people. Uh, I No, I definitely wouldn't do it for Kelly Oubre to answer the question. Uh, but I, the tricky thing about the P.J. Washington discussion, to pivot to that real quick, is that um, I feel like it's a, the thing about restricted free agency that's tough is it feels like more times than not, the team that gets a player back for losing out on a player is just like it's like a compensatory thing. It doesn't feel like it's often equal for equal. Yeah. And before Ricky took a leave of absence, I probably would have thrown Ricky into the deal or Dean Wade. And now it's kind of murky because it's like, I mean, obviously, I don't think it's blasphemous to quote Stephen A to say that I would rather have PJ Washington than Dean Wade right now. I think every Cavs fan would be in line for that trade, except for like Dean Wade's dad or something. (laughs) But at the end of the day, um, PJ Washington is a much more complete basketball player. And the Cavs were, I think it's just 
a little too much. I think we kind of need to see how players have healed up and have progressed in the off season versus kind of furthering putting all your chips in when we kind of need to see what we have right now. I think that is a fair response. Me, I'll just go ahead and press the button. No, hell no. Look, I get it. People are just so low on Isaac Okoro and it's starting to, it gets to me on like a, on a deep level. Cause I'm like, this is a man that's heading into his age 23 season. Guys, I am, I'm like seven, eight years older than Isaac Okoro. And I don't even, I, I really don't feel like it. Isaac has so much room for growth. And I think there's just a lot there. And if, if I'm being honest here, would I love to add Kelly Oubre? Yes. I would love to add him off the bench. I mean, he could probably even start for the Cavs, you know, prior to acquiring Max Strews. But no, I'm not giving up this team's best perimeter defender for a very inefficient shot chucker, which is what Kelly Oubre is right now. Um, you know, at that point, it, just pull up Bates. In my yeah. opinion, I mean, if we're if offense, because really, let's just be. Let's just get down to the bare bones of it all. If we're just looking for offensive production out of that wing position, just give Amani Bates an opportunity rather than trading away your best perimeter defender who's still growing. I think the tough case for Ubre in general, the main argument I have is I haven't seen him succeed on a good team. I think his best situation he had was the Golden State year, and that was arguably his worst season which he had his best looks. So I don't want to like make the lazy take here of being good stats, bad team guy, but I don't know if necessarily I think Ubre solves the Cavs problems. If I don't have like, especially if I have to like in this hypothetical, give up a Coro. I don't know if I want to put away like one of my best young players for, a player who I'm not even necessarily sure can be a positive impact player on a good team. So that's where I also would say no, not even like talking about Isaac's value to the Cavs internally, just trade asset wise. It doesn't make, it doesn't seem like a safe trade to say the least. No, I wouldn't do it. I mean, we're you just look at some of the basics about it too. Kelly's going into his age 28 season. And while that is his athletic prime per se, just like I you. think, yeah, <laughs> I think he has, <laughs> I think he has, um, you know, his, his room for growth is not necessarily at the level right now that Isaac's still is. I still think there's a lot of untapped potential with Coro, and I feel like he would fit the Cavs needs a little bit more, a little bit better. Um, so no, I, I would not do that sign trade. Uh, hope that answers your question. Moondog. <laughs> Even though you're not the real Moondog. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Corey, man, these questions, these are, there are, are some good ones here. And, and every question that, that we receive are very, very appreciative of all of them, but some of them are easier to answer than others, <laughs> uh, at least in my estimation. Uh, next question here comes from Project NBA, also on Twitter. What's one thing that you'll be looking for in the regular season that will make you feel good about the Cavs in the playoffs? Um, I guess that kind of falls in the Brett Clapper um, division of hard to answer right now. Um, but what I will say is I'm very interested in seeing whether or not players like Craig Porter Jr. and Amani Bates actually get run with the big league 
squad this upcoming season because I think that'll tell you a lot about where the Cavs' current state of the rotation is. If these guys can squeak in and get minutes, um, you know, mid or towards the end of the season, I think that'll tell you that the Cavs' rotation is not quite as solidified as you'd like it to be heading closer to the postseason. How about you, Corey? I I have one word, uh, spacing. If the Cavs have a good amount of spacing on the floor, if their investments in their three-point players pay off, if Struess looks like a player that has helped unlock the Cavs' offense by adding another shooter, not making the Cavs' offense rely heavily on Darius and Donnie to kind of be the flamethrowers and buoy up the rest of the garbage that the offense was doing last year. (laughs) Um, How dare you? I'm so sorry. It went so well for us. I'm sorry. I'm bitter. (laughs) Uh, Then like if they're able to provide different looks with, I think they, the, in the postseason, I think we saw issues with the Cavs running the two bigs, not saying that I don't think they can survive and thrive that way, but I think they didn't have any to go off your point. I don't think they had the bench players necessary to diversify their looks. I think adding a player like Niang will open up some moving at the four. Maybe Dean looks a little better so he could play some four. So that way they don't have to go too tall. Maybe if Mobley's improvement offensively where he's able to stretch the floor a little more looks better. Maybe if the Jared and Evan bulk up a little more, that would also make me feel a little better where they can kind of hold their own against the bigger centers. We know they have an issue with the MB type centers that are bigger because they're two of the, they're not like they're by no means scrawny guys, but in terms of NBA players, they're on the thinner side of the bigs. And I would, uh, I would probably like also a good sign for the Cavs that I would be looking for is Darius to kind of dial up offensive aggression again. I feel like it happens every season where Cavs fans at some point would be like, Darius is great. Darius is fantastic, but I would like him to take a little – I would like him to take more three-pointers than he currently is taking because we know he has the capability of being a good three-point shooter. And I don't feel like – even though it was mostly a two-man offensive show last year, I also don't want it to also just feel like Mitchell and Mid- the Mitchets, as I labeled You'd it. You'd love to say that. That's your yeah. <laughs> but I I do feel like it, it only can. Uh, it's not like a. I'm not breaking any new ground here by saying it only benefits the Cavs to have Darius also be able to completely carry the Cavs' offense on his back for games like well, as we saw in the postseason when Donovan's shot wasn't hitting. The offense was kind of like record scratch. Wait, we're not going to be able to kind of ride this out <laughs> if no one else is making anything and it, the Cavs offense can't be your turn, my turn, your turn. Yeah, I mean, those are all things that we have to pay attention to when we're talking about the Cavs readiness for the postseason. I think like you hit it on you hit the nail on the head when you referred to spacing. I think that's obviously one of the biggest things that this Cavs team is needed to address this offseason. And I feel like they've done it, but of course they haven't played a game yet. So we don't know if it'll actually pay off just yet. We hope so after giving Max that huge contract. We hope so after, you know, acquiring Niang and uh, Jerome, but you just don't know until they start playing the games. And then to go off the Mitch, Mitchell and the Bichettes, uh point you made. Yeah, we saw a lot of that, uh, you know, your turn, my turn type ball that we kind of saw with um, 
you know, LeBron and Kyrie at at first, you know, when when that big three was put together. And then, you know, it's it's just a tale as old as time when you're talking about, you know, stars and, and acquiring a big time talent and time to trying to integrate them within the offense that you currently run. And so Mitchell being in the offense, yet another season, Darius Garland getting, you know, a full season's worth of games to try and learn how to play best with Donovan. Um, I'm very interested to see how those two figure out a way to best play with one another. Cause I'm, I was so tired of seeing one of them being good in a certain game and then the other being good, but never quite being on the same page in the same game. Um, so I'm definitely looking forward to that too, man. Um, before we close out, there is one thing that I wanted to address. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you, and that was, did you happen to see Danny Green's comments <laughs> uh, that he made about being left in a weird space with the Cavs? Uh, yes, I did. And all I can say to that, Danny, is makes sense. I felt the same way. <laughs> <laughs> so my, I guess my question to you would be, do you think that, you know, let's look at this in two lights here. Do you think that there was anything that Danny could have done to show that he was actually fully healthy? I mean, I think it's a severe injury. And we saw with Ricky last year, it looked like even though he was quote unquote healthy, the difference between being healthy and being, hey, I can play X amount of minutes in an NBA game daily mm-hmm. is huge. I mean, it probably was going to take Ricky to go through Euros and probably another half of this season before we could really get a good idea of, hey, is Ricky the player that he was before the injury? So Danny, I don't think Danny was ever going to really have the opportunity to be like, guys, look, I'm, I am I can do this. It's We saw he his shot was there. It's just the dude looked like he was running through quicksand to get there. So at the end of the day, no. I um I feel bad for Danny. I mean, obviously, as a human being, you feel for a guy who just feels like, you know, it's like, I know mentally what I can do, but maybe mentally what you can do and physically what you can do are two different things. I mean, JB was sticking with his rotation, as the article said, it, but I also feel like I can see where Danny would be agitated because it's not like what was on the floor was necessarily working. And I feel like we only kind of brought him on as the series was almost being wrapped up. So as a player, you're like, you're really just using me as a break glass thing. Like this is kind of fucked up. I mean, it's just a tough spot to be in for him. You know, and I look at it, he played 11 games in the regular season. And some of that was the result of contracting COVID Um, that I honestly believe. I think that had a big, that played a big factor in him being able to truly establish himself within the rotation um, obviously he's not what he once was on the defensive end, but he can still knock down the three ball. Um, that's for sure. To, to, to ask him to jump into a playoff atmosphere, a place that we know he's very familiar with, right? Um, you know, he, he brings that tile experience and that veteran leadership, but that's one thing actually being able to go out there after suffering such a horrific injury and you know showing it that you can still get it done in a playoff atmosphere is another and i think he was always going to be fighting an uphill battle especially when you're talking about beating out one of the current rotation members for the Cavs for a spot there and not having enough time to really do that yes you can always look back to that nick series and say well shit none of none of it was working so why not give him an opportunity 
Um, it, it's easy to say that, but you know, when you're, when you're talking about guys not necessarily being able to go out there and get it done on the defensive end and the Cavs already having to play small, um, I don't know, man. It's just, it was a rough spot for him to be in. Um, Danny, you know, still has some, something left in the tank, in my opinion, but it's obviously probably not going to come with the Cavs. I, um, I wish no. him the best. <laughs> yeah, I, I do wish him the best, um, but it was kind of sad to hear, you know, because I do feel like Danny should have been given an opportunity, but COVID along with coming back from that injury and, you know, and fighting the uphill battle of beating out one of the current rotation members was always going to be something that uh, was not working in his favor. And I mean, let's, I'm not going to mince words here. It was always going to be a shot in the dark, right? Did, yep. When they brought him in off the buyout market, it was never a guarantee that he was going to get a real opportunity. It was just kind of a shot in the dark. You see this kind of thing every season from some NBA team and an NBA vet. Um, but for Danny, obviously, you know, having ties to Cleveland, that being the team that uh, gave him the opportunity, right? Uh, first to, you know, fulfill his dream of being an NBA player. Um, him coming back to Cleveland did kind of feel like, hey, this guy can actually help. But it just didn't turn out to be that way. And it's unfortunate, but it's uh, there are reasons. You know, I just – that's the way I view it at least. No, I agree. I feel uh, – I just feel bad for the guy, you know? Yeah, I do. You know, I, I legitimately do too. I wanted Danny to be successful here, but uh, I really do hope that he lands on his feet and that some other team needy, uh, you know, that is in need of three-point production gives him an opportunity this season. Probably it's not going to be the Cavs. It's probably going to be the Thunder to make up for Ty Jerome. <laughs> <laughs> Circa the Thunder, 2020. <laughs> the Thunder, the Warriors, you know, you never know. Wherever uh, Ty the, Jerome leaves, there's a huge shadow in his wake. Hey, that man is a baller. <laughs> I'll say that when he hops on the pod, you know. I mean, Not- yeah, I mean, we have now gone from the Dean Wade, the official Dean Wade podcast to the Ty Jerome podcast because Dean missed his chance. God, how the mighty have fallen for us. That <laughs> <laughs> This is where we're going. Soon it will uh, be the Luke Travers official podcast. Jeez, man. Uh I um I'm very excited though. I'm I'm excited guys about this upcoming season. Um that said, like we always tell you, if you want like to, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at it's cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you want to be added to the it's cavalier discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot of said review to it's cavalier53 at gmail.com and we'll send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good night.